Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Amen. We are finishing up our series in Moses from the book of Exodus. And today we're actually going to look at the book of Numbers And we're looking at this guy's life who's had an incredible life and actually has an incredible resume. If you look at the resume of Moses, he's done some big things in his life. One of the first things that happens for Moses, which doesn't happen for everybody, is that they said Moses is just a good-looking kid. And that that wasn't my thing. God didn't have that for me in my life, praise God. But when they said he was a beautiful baby, right? And then not only was Moses a good-looking kid, the Bible says that Moses after that, he ends up living in the house of Pharaoh. There in Pharaoh's house, Moses would be educated with the top education that you can have. Many would say, many scholars would say that he went to what's called the Temple of the Sun. The Temple of the Sun, he would probably earn, uh, learn military and philosophy and learn about law. But in those first 40 years of his life, he made a, a critical error. He assumed because he was good looking and because he was wise and eloquent that God had to use him. And so God had to humble him sent him to a little desert called Midian. And for 40 more years of his life, Moses was humbled there in Midian, quietly just tending sheep all to himself. And then through a burning bush, God got Moses' attention. And he would eventually use Moses and transform Moses' life, and then Moses would transform others' lives. And Moses would be able to have plagues demonstrated to Pharaoh through him. Moses would be able to see a Red Sea parted through him. When we look at the resume of Moses, I mean, this guy, he's been a part of the Exodus, delivering God's people. He's been able to see the Red Sea part. The Bible says that he is the one that God was able to show those tablets with the Ten Commandments. Moses is a big deal. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 says that Moses is in what's called the hall of faith, that he's one of the people we look to as a model of living by faith. But a disturbing thing that we have to look at today, y'all, and a disturbing thing that we have to acknowledge about Moses is that although Moses had early success and he walked through the wilderness with these folks, he did not fulfill all that God had for him. Because the Bible says here today, the story we'll look at, is that Moses was not just merely intended, God did not just merely design him to deliver God's people from Egypt, but it was also to the promised land. That's what God wanted, to take them into the promised land. And because of his egregious offense, he was not able to fulfill all that God wanted from him. Do you know that <clears throat> one of my favorite verses, if you've been here for any time, you've heard me say a, a quote, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. And that means that every season of your life, God has something he's calling you to do. Every single season. And one day... You're going to be old and gray, and God will still have something for you to do. 
Because as long as you're breathing, as long as you're living life, as long as you're still alive, God's got something for you to do. And so God has made you for something special. But each of us has God-sized potential. We have things that God has designed that we can't see right now, but we will only understand through faithfulness and trust and depending on his word and his people. And the reality is this, that although you may be able to have all the crowds and all the applause, you can fulfill man's expectations, but you can still miss your God-sized potential. Even though everyone knows your name and everyone sees you, and church, I don't want you to miss it. I want you to fulfill everything God has for you to do. You know, when you look back there, I put those things there, and I put an asterisk next to the promised land. And, you know, sometimes in sports they put an asterisk next to something, and it just tells you you need to know a little bit more. Yeah, he was supposed to be in the promised land. Yeah, God, I, God said, I wanted this for him, but he didn't fulfill everything. Don't you want that for your life? Everything. I did everything God made me to do. I fulfilled every purpose I've been designed for. God wanted me to live out his glory in this season of my life, and I did it. Every season. So I just wasn't a person who came on strong in my early walk. I stayed faithful. I stayed committed. I lived up to everything that God wanted me to do. Now, mind you, we're talking about a murderer, okay? So we're not talking about moral perfection, amen? Moral perfection and faithfulness to God's word are two different things. Because it's a, it's a, it's, it's a broken road we're on. Where we're carrying the cross of Jesus. And we're wanting to be more like him. And we struggle, yes. But we just keep taking steps forward to do what God calls us to do. And so that's what we want. We want to be everything God wants us to be. And we've learned in 2018 that some people don't finish well, that you can have 80 years of a life and in year 82, everyone thinks of you differently. Old people can do dumb things. And we have learned this. And now a whole life that we thought of you one way, you were the father of the year. Now we see you as someone we can't even put women around. That's not just from the Bible, that's the culture. I want you to finish well, amen? I want you to finish well. And you may not be thinking about finishing, but you don't know when your end line is, praise God. So I want you to finish well. Let's understand the context of what God is going to teach us here. If you have your Bible, you can go to Numbers chapter 20. But it'll also be up on the screen. The entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And they settled in Kadesh. Miriam died and was buried there. So we see people are dying off and getting old. Excuse me. And there was no water for the community. It's the first thing we observe. 
that the people are thirsty, apparently. So they, they mean the people, they assembled against Moses and Aaron. Verse 3, the people quarreled with Moses, okay? So they first got everybody together, and then they began to quarrel with Moses and said, if only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Now, this was a different scene earlier in Numbers they were talking about. But they're like, we'd be, it's, we're better off dead. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into the wilderness for us and our livestock to die here, Moses? Come on. In verse 5, why have you led us from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Now, you notice in verse 2, it just says there's no water, right? But you know how complainers are, praise God. They find all the problems. They have just this knack. All right, so it's, it's not a, they say it's not a place of grain. Ain't no grain around here. Ain't no figs. Ain't no vines. Ain't no pomegranates. And there's no water. Look at all these problems, Moses. And when you track with the Israelites, the Israelites may have not been good at everything, but one thing they were good at was complaining. Exodus chapter 5 says they complained the minute they got out of Egypt because Pharaoh was chasing them down. And they said to Moses, you brought us here to kill us. Exodus chapter 14, the people told Moses, leave us alone. Exodus chapter 15, they complained because the water was bitter. Exodus 16, they complained because they were hungry and God gave them manna. Exodus chapter 17, the people complained because they were thirsty. For 40 years, God delivered these people, brought them into the desert, gave them what they needed, and right when what they needed ran out, they complained again. And this happened for 40 years. And when I say they complained, I don't mean they cried out to God. I mean they looked at people and said, you're my problem. And so God delivered them for 40 years, and 40 years they've been complaining. So God being one who feels like complaining is at the heart of ingratitude, shows them how he feels about complaining. Praise the Lord. I know this doesn't apply to anybody. Hallelujah. But Numbers chapter, Numbers chapter 11, so I'm going to look earlier in Numbers, and God is going to judge their complaining spirit. In Numbers chapter 11, it says, Now the people began complaining open, openly before the Lord about hardship. They weren't even keeping it quiet. And when the Lord heard, his anger burned and fire from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp. So what God did was he didn't put fire on the camp where the people was. He put fire around it to warn the people, I'm mad, y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm upset. I'm not cool with you complaining, right? So the people cried out to Moses, this is fire, man, what are we doing? And then he prayed. Moses prays, and Moses is like, yo, chill, the, the fire, they scared, come on, God. You know, so they're not going to complain. They're not going to complain, God. They're not going to complain. They're not going to complain. So two verses later, who's going to feed us meat? These are people. This is the Bible, right? They start complaining two verses later. We remember, <laughs> this is what... People are so funny. We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt. It was free because you were slaves. But anyway, <laughs> uh, along in Egypt, we were slaves. They gave us fish while they slapped us on the back, along with the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But our, now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. So God had kept providing manna 
So it wasn't that God was, wasn't providing. They just got tired of what God was providing, okay? So they were just like, ah, we're not with this. We don't like all this meat. So God, after having put fire down, he's tired of this. He's like, I, you know what? All right. Y'all want meat? Is that what you want? Y'all want meat? I'm going to give you some meat. So this is, what, this, is what, this is what the Lord says. He says, tell the people this. And I feel like God was clapping his hands when he did this. He was like, consecrate yourselves, all right, and you're going to eat meat today because you wept in the Lord's hearing. Here's what we're going to do. You, you, who will feed us meat? Okay, okay. We were better off in Egypt. That's what you're saying? Okay. The Lord's going to give you, and he's kind of biting his life. The Lord's going to give you meat, and you're going to eat it. Look. Look at what he says. Look at verse 19. He says, you will eat. Not for one day, nah, and all his boys were behind him. Like the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, everybody was there. It was like a rap battle. Or two days, or five days, or 10 days, or 20 days. Before a whole month, you're going to get this meat. Until, listen to what he says, until it comes out your nostrils. This is, I didn't make this up. This is in the Bible. And becomes nauseating to you. Because you have, he's like, I'm going to keep feeding you. Just go eat to eat to eat, shut up, eat to me. Because you have rejected who is among you and wept before him. And he, you know, I can hear the Lord saying, why did you leave me in Egypt? And he's just, oh, I'm so upset. So God puts fire down. And he's like, you're going to eat meat till you get tired of it. And the Lord later on would actually create a plague for them to deal with. So God sends fire down. He forces them on a keto diet. It's just all meat all the time, right? <laughs> Nothing but meat and nuts or something, right? And then he says, then he also gives them a plague, okay? So it's fire, plague, meat. But God, listen, the first thing, before we get to Moses, one thing that God is trying to establish is I want you to understand my character. I'm really not cool with you guys complaining the way you are. Now, Paul will pick up on this in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Grumbling is the, 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 it's the imagery of complaining, but just complaining quietly. Like grumble, grumble. It's, it's, when you, it's when you quietly question. You don't want to be seen as the guy or the girl. But behind the scenes, you're like, what? Mm -mm. And you got all these problems, Right? But arguing is when you're openly complaining. And so what God is saying here in Philippians chapter 2 is whether it's behind the scenes or publicly, I am not okay when you are constantly bringing out arguments and problems and not seeing what I've been doing. See, that was the problem. It wasn't complaining. It was not, it's not like God's sitting there like, we, we all get frustrated. But it's when we think humans are controlling everything. And it cuts through gratitude. And it takes away God's sovereignty. And it really places man as sovereign. And it causes division. And every complaint that we add up is really just giving more ammo to the devil to create more division. And so God through fire, through plagues, through, through giving them all that meat, was trying to show and put on display his character. But Moses, church, makes a critical error. Because, 
Sometimes when we see people get what they deserve, when we see people do something and, they, and we see them go without, we're like, see, that's, that, see, God got you. See, see you, you, you messed up. You get what you deserve. Yeah. And there's something inside of us that likes seeing bullies get beat up. There's something inside of us that likes it when rich people go broke, who are greedy. We like it when people get what they deserve. And maybe in the back of Moses' mind, when he saw the fire come down, he was like, that's right. And when he saw the meat, all that meat, he was like, that's right. Y'all, 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 eat that meat. Well, it says in Exodus, I'm sorry, in Numbers chapter 20, back to our primary story. That in the same situation, the people are complaining again about water and food. Then Moses and Aaron, it says in Numbers 20, verses 6 through 8. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses in verse 8, Take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. Now look there at what we highlighted. Speak to the rock while they watch. That's your only job description in this moment. Speak to the rock. I wonder if we could say that together. Speak to the rock. That's all you got to do, bro. He didn't even tell him what to say. Just speak to the rock and I'll use you. I just need you to do something simple. Just speak. Now we have to understand that Moses, in verse 9 of Numbers 20, it says he took the staff from the Lord's presence just, just as he had commanded him, Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them. Now, before we go into what Moses said, because it was very interesting what he says, notice it says he took the staff and he gathers the people. And we have to realize that in Exodus 17, the people were in a very similar situation. They were thirsty. And in Exodus 17, God told Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of the Israel with you. Take the staff that you struck the Nile with in your hand and go, and I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, while water will come out of it and the people will drink. Well, if you look in Exodus 17, God says, strike the rock with your staff. But here, earlier, it says Moses just speak to the rock. Moses, just speak to the rock. You ain't got nothing to do with your staff. You ain't got to do nothing with any of that. Just speak to the rock. And this is what Moses does. It says in Numbers 20, <laughs> verses 10 through 11, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? And then Moses raised his hand, which God never said do, and strike the rock twice with his staff, so the abundant water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. Now, what was he supposed to do? He was supposed to speak to the rock. But who's he speaking to? The people. 
God says, don't even say nothing to them. You don't have to worry about them. But what Moses does is Moses is like, I got to let these people know. I'm not a punk. I'm not one of these punk prophets. I'm going to let you know. Okay, so here's the deal. Y'all are a bunch of rebels. Okay, I'm tired of this. Been 40 years. I'm fed up. I'm going to let y'all know about yourselves. And then he takes the staff and he strikes the rock twice. And God didn't tell him to do that here. He had told him to do that in another chapter, in another book, in another season of his life, in a different moment. God was trying to do something different then and wants to do something different now. And just like he, the people had to depend daily on the manna, we must depend daily on God because we can't reheat an old season, an old word that God had for us at a different time of our lives. But Moses is like, I'm going to give you all this staff and I'm going to show you all. And he's like, I'm going to give you this water. And Moses is told by God in Numbers 20 and 12, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. You will not fulfill everything I have for you, Moses. I will put them in the land And yes, you'll go right up to the point in the land. You'll get to look at what you could have accomplished, but you will not fulfill it. What can we learn from this church? What can we learn from this? One of the things that is disturbing to me, like disturbing, like really causes me concern is that the people were drinking water and they never knew God had a problem with what just happened. They're feeding their livestock. They're drinking water. They're like, this is great. Moses did it again. And Moses is like, thank you. Thank you. Y'all like that double tap thing? I did that. I did that just for you, Tony. Yeah. The people are celebrating. Here, there he goes again. Oh, man. Aaron's like, That's, that guy's amazing, right? And everyone is celebrating his success. Meanwhile, God is not pleased. Church, what this teaches us is that visible results don't always indicate God's pleasure. Right? That the whole land could be celebrating your success, but God is not just concerned about what you produce. He's concerned about who you're becoming. And he notices the little thing behind the scenes. He notices when you strike the rock twice. He notices when you rebuke the people and give the people a little piece of your mind because you got to prove to them, you got to prove to them that you're not afraid, that you're not weak. But one of the bigger issues here that we can't run from is what God says. He says in Numbers 12, 20 and 12, you didn't trust me. 
You notice God didn't get in, God doesn't do like this big reenactment, like see you, the staff thing. and He doesn't do all that. He gets to the heart of it. He gets down to the agenda. He cuts right down to the real issue. You just didn't trust me. You didn't trust me to demonstrate. You didn't think I could fight your battles on your behalf. You didn't think that I could have the people think highly of you after this moment. You didn't trust me. But he says to demonstrate my holiness. And that's what God is trying to do through us, church. God has saved us to use us and to put his character on display to a dying world. And your God-sized potential is not just based upon your skill, but it is based upon your stewardship of God's character, of who he is. That's more than anything else. More than your resume, more than your network, more than the people you know, God is desperate for a people that want to give him glory and glory alone, that want to use their lives to be his platform. And he is very cautious about his character. That's what he longs for, to put his character on display in a dying world. And yes, what is God's character? Certainly holiness is the fact that God is morally perfect, absolutely. But holiness is also the idea that God is set apart, that he's altogether different, that you and I have thoughts, but God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That you and I have ways, but God's ways are higher than our ways. And you and I are loving, but God's loving is higher. And sometimes God will call us to do things that are abnormal, not like everybody else, so that God can be on display in a unique way. God is surprising. God is unique. And God, we can't put God in a box, but we must allow him to be God. We must allow his character to be magnanimous and powerful and awe-inspiring. And one of the things that God does better than anybody else is he blesses the undeserving. Oh, yes. Yes. Can God send fire down? Oh, yes. Can he make people eat meat and just, you're going to get this meat? Yes. Is God a God of truth? Can God be a God of retribution? Yes. But more overarchingly in the scriptures, God is a God of mercy. Yes, he's just. Yes, Yes, he puts that character on display. But in this moment, what God wanted to do was give complaining people water. And I'm not going to deal with your complaining right now. I'm going to just give you water. Well, God, you know, we need to tell them about their complaining. Now? Because I'll let them know. I'll let them know. They rebels. No, 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 no. I don't need you to tell me what these people need. Just like they need to come to you to get water, you must come to me for direction. And I can't trust you. I can't trust you. I can't put you in a situation where it gets hot, hard and people start blaming you. And they start talking about you. They talk about you more than they talk about me. 
And sometimes they'll praise me and not give you credit. Can you handle that? I sent my son on earth who they thought was just a carpenter. And yet he sacrificed his life. If you can't handle being misunderstood, you cannot handle God's character. That part of the nature of leading out on God's behalf is being misunderstood, church. It's having people not get you. Moreover, not getting your intentions. Not understanding what you were trying to do. Oh, I was just trying to help. No, I know what you're really about. And people blaming you. And can you still bless people when they're undeserving? Or do you got to give them a little bit of retribution? You know what I'm saying? You got to give them a piece of your mind. You got to let them know you're not soft. You got to let them know you're not a punk. You know, we want to let people know we're, we're loving, but we got a little hood in us just in the back. Just a little bit, small percentage. And can we just surprise people with God's grace? Because the cross of Jesus Christ was something no one was prepared for. It's surprising. God's grace is surprising. It's not predictable. And Moses thought, I know what God thinks here. I know what's, I can predict. But God is a God of grace. If you are going to fulfill your God-sized potential, it's you stewarding God's character. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God proves his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the verse there says proves, but in the Greek, it can also be demonstrates. So just go back to Numbers 20 where God said, I, wanted, I can't trust you to demonstrate my holiness. You didn't trust me to demonstrate my holiness. It says in Romans 5, chapter 8, that God proves or demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. And this verse is one of the most pinnacle verses to understand the gospel, that we had not reached a moral climate that God was cool with that we didn't clean ourselves up, that we didn't finally get things right, and we didn't say, God, I agree. In fact, we were in the midst of saying, God, I disagree, I'm running away, I'm gonna still do my dirt and still come to church, and I'm gonna flip it like that and remix the whole situation, and guess what? He still loves you. He still pours out his grace. And we are the complainers. And he still pours out that water. And the greatest demonstration wasn't just water coming from a rock. It was a savior dying for sinners. While we were sinning, while we were ignoring God, running from God, rebelling against God. One thing Moses did get right, they were rebels. One thing is true of you. We're all rebels. And God is hunting us down with his grace. What God wants to do is he wants to demonstrate his grace through you. Everywhere you are. Jesus said, you want to do something really impressive? 
Don't love people that love you back only. Why don't you love your enemy? Why don't you love someone that will not give love back? For then you will be demonstrating me because I love people who don't love me back. One time, uh, <laughs> I was at a restaurant and um, <clears throat> we had been there and I think, I think at my church we had been just talking about God's grace or can't really remember at the church I was in in North Carolina. And the server we had at this restaurant was um, beyond bad. He was just a really bad, he was a bad waiter. He was good waiters, bad waiters. He was one of the bad ones, praise God. And um, he was, you know, not paying attention to us. And I mean, just, you know, act like you like your job, that kind of thing. Like he was just really not into it. And so we're in the midst of it. And I remember we were getting ready to leave. And I felt the Holy Spirit lean on my heart to give him a tip, a really good tip. So I looked over at my wife and I said, I feel like I should give him a tip. My wife was like, advice or, because his brother's not doing a good job. And he had rolled his eyes and sucked his teeth the whole night. Yeah, that, that kind of, yeah, I wasn't sure if y'all understood what I meant by not doing a good job. I mean, actually, attitude. And I gave him this tip. And you know what I thought? I thought when I give you this like above 20% type of hype, you're actually gonna change your behavior. And he did. He said, cool, and walked away. And of course I complained about him. Walked back to the car because I'm a sinner saved by grace. Went in the car and God just struck my mind and helped me to realize that when grace is given and the response is ingratitude, certainly we can be frustrated with the people showing ingratitude, but we should be reminded of who we are. We should be reminded of ourselves. <laughs> that waiter didn't even care and God was like, that's you. That's you. That's you. And in that moment, it opened up my eyes for how God is patient with me. Church, God is patient with us, isn't he? And if he's been patient with us, then all church, shouldn't we be patient with others? Shouldn't we be graceful with others? Shouldn't we be loving? And so the person on your job that has been quarantined and everyone says they speak too much and they're too illegitimate to even be cared for, maybe instead of joining the crowd of people that are sneering, maybe we should be making a beeline to them because God blesses the undeserving. God blesses the undeserving. And you will understand how much God blesses the undeserving when you realize how undeserving you truly are. God pours water out to complaining people. Pour water out. 
pour water out this morning to the undeserved. Gracious God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love, God. We thank you for your grace. We want to fulfill everything you've called us to do, God. God, I want, to, I want to walk in every work you've called for me to do. I want to be everything you want me to be. I want to fulfill the plan of God for my life. I want to steward your character, God. I want to bring you glory. Lord, the world is filled with churches that will tell people what they're not. But God, can we be a community that pours grace into the life of sinners? Awaken them to the reality of your character and of your love. Pick me, choose me, use me, God. I pray we would have that heart to be used by a graceful God. In Jesus' name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at BridgeChurchNYC or visit our website, BridgeChurchNYC.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.